talk to me about rock and roll. I'm out there in the clubs and on the streets, and I'm living it. I am rock and roll. Welcome to the Heart God Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse HS, and this is our music episode, our first music episode. Uh, I'm pretty excited to finally uh, get to this point where we can talk about music a little bit. But by the same by the same sword, we're still going to, you know, it, it'll always relate back to film when we talk about music, and it'll always relate back to music when we talk about film. They're going to kind of intertwine always There'll always be incestual talks when we talk about music and film, because those are the things that I care about, and that's what mainly we're going to be focusing on. Uh, many types of film and all types of music. And uh, I have uh, one of my closest friends on the podcast today, uh, E.T., Mr. Eric Tyler, affectionately known to us as E.T., uh, a fellow, you know, uh, music fan. I mean, I mean, who isn't really a music fan, but... Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's got a wide range, a wide variety, a wide taste in, uh, music, uh, as well as film, um, like I do, and I think that's one of our, uh, main connecting points as, uh, friends is, uh, not limiting ourselves on, uh, film and music, uh, you know, we listen to everything, uh, everything under the sun, uh, so it's uh, it's going to be an interesting talk, and we're going to cover several genres because I listen to everything. So hopefully there's uh, a little something in here for everyone. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, hey, we opened the show with uh, Motorhead, so you can't really ever go wrong there. Uh, that's always going to be something that's that should be welcomed and appreciated by anyone. And if you aren't a Motorhead fan, um, go pick up uh, Orgasmatron. And listen to it and try to tell me that isn't the personification of what a rock and roll record should be. Uh, yeah, Lemmy, oh man, talk about a legend, uh, complete legend. Uh, probably the last rock and roll legend we have, really. I mean, I mean, who's really left after, you know, Lemmy's gone? Like, I mean, you could throw around, like, things like, uh, say Chris Cornell and guys like that and I'd never take anything away from those guys uh you know anything like from their talent base but as far as being rock and roll living rock and roll I mean Lemmy Kilmeister was the personification of that uh to its fullest degree the guy toured and made records until his death I think his last show I think was like the 15th or the 16th or something of December and the guy died a few days after his birthday on like the 20 28th and I think his birthday was the 26th or something like that like it's crazy the guy uh talk about a guy that did it all and just never stopped I mean he did it to the very end and to live the kind of uh rough life that he did uh to that degree so like 
at 11 at all times is uh that's pretty impressive that he uh he even held out to 70 i mean with everything that the guy did in his life it's really it's shocking that he even made it that far to to 70 i mean i feel like he got to 70 he's like all right i've done it i've done enough but i mean the guy did everything everything under the sun that you could possibly imagine and it's just uh i mean it's a testament to what rock and roll is really all about uh you know everything that lemmy was stood for was you know no bullshit uh no ego attitude and that's uh at the very least that's uh beyond admirable um and sticking with that rock and roll spirit uh i want to assure everyone that they're isn't going to be a lot of edits on this show. Uh, I'm going to keep going it, you know, f- kind of free-balling, just like uh, we are now. I'm not really a fan of edits. I'm not really a fan of things that sound uh, super over-the-top, like uh, well-constructed. And don't get me wrong, and I hope this podcast comes off, you know, good, sounding good, because we want it to sound good. But at the same time, you're going to deal with the ims and the hims and the haws and the hums and the uhs and the yeahs and all that shit because that's rock and roll. No edits. No auto-tune. Uh, but we're going to get right into it. And uh, we have uh, Eric Tyler, affectionately known to us as E.T., on the phone right now. And uh, what's going on, brother? How we doing, man? Doing well. How about yourself? Not bad at all. Uh, nice Saturday morning. So uh, when we just, uh, I was just talking about Lemmy a little bit, uh, kicked off the show with a little Motorhead. Uh, what are your initial thoughts when, you know, I mean, obviously we've talked about it endlessly because uh, we're both huge uh, Motorhead fans, but what's your first thoughts when you hear Motorhead these days? Well, initially now it's, it's sadness because uh, we'll never hear any new uh, material because uh, obviously Lemmy passed away, but... When you think of Motorhead and Lemmy, I mean, I think of just literally the ultimate, I mean, the ultimate rock star. Uh, the dude has been around doing his thing for so long. I mean, they how many albums have they put out? Really? That's literally? what I was just saying. I was like, what, they had like 27 or 28 albums, like, yeah. and, and he, he did it no, right to the very end. Exactly. And they're all just no holds barred, you know, I don't give a shit, I'm just going to rock your face off pretty much and you there's something that uh should be said about that you know what i mean especially with the way record labels are and stuff like that he really just didn't he really just did it his way and he really did not care and i think uh all these other you know groups want to call themselves rock stars but i don't know i think he is the true meaning of what you know, rock and roll embodies. He is rock and roll. Yeah, so. you uh, you uh, just echoed my uh, sentiments that I was saying as well. Like, uh, there's really no one left that was uh, on his caliber at all. No, without a doubt, no. And, and Motorhead as a, as a group, too, I mean, with the amount of, you know, influence they put out, I mean, between metal and, and punk and just, I mean, everything. Like, they've influenced so many different bands and so many styles. It's like, and you can't even really put a genre on them just because... I mean, like I said, as a punk, as a metal, it's just, you know, it's so good. So I think to me, that's what rock and roll is. You can't, and that's what Motorhead always embodied was, you can't put your finger on it. It's just always no holds barred. It's always in your face, whether they were playing like uh, 
don't don't let daddy kiss me or they were playing uh or they they were playing uh you know just uh born to raise hell or they were playing uh you know and a lot of people forget that like how many songs he actually wrote he wrote songs for Lita Ford and, and you know when people say uh it's funny they just put out uh under I think it's called uh under the covers uh that cover album uh, of like a collection of all their covers, and it's funny. It's funny that Hellraiser is on there uh, because he wrote it, and then Ozzy recorded it first, and then Lemmy then recorded it. So it's considered a cover, but Lemmy wrote it, like, uh, which is funny. But that guy, and he wrote "My Mom Coming Home," like one of Ozzy's biggest hits. Like, uh, isn't that insane? And people, like I said, they, unless you scratch the surface, you would never know any of that stuff. Exactly, and 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 to what you were saying, you can't like. You definitely, especially the lineup, the last lineup of Motorhead that was around since 92, I think Mickey D came in. Um, well, you know, you had Wurzel in there for a little while as well, but like, man, can you talk about, can you think of many drummers as good as Mickey D, like in current, currently, right now? No, seriously, and you know what, it's funny because you're the one who kind of pointed me in the direction of like how much, like how much stuff he's done and he's all over the place. I mean, he's... Uh, with the amount of groups he's been in it's like and that's a guy who's not even really talked about that much you know what i mean no which is insane because if you listen to that motorhead drumming you know you could say that lemmy kind of teetered and tottered as he got older and he didn't he wasn't as like uh vibrant uh on the bass as he was or whatever but phil campbell was always firing on all cylinders and mickey d is in his 50s and now he's drumming with the scorpions and people like you said people like unless you if you only scratch the surface, you don't really know that, like, okay, well, Mickey D also drummed on Abigail and them, like, the King Diamond records, and he was on Don Dawkins' record. And exactly, yeah, King Diamond being so, you know, historic as well. It's like, you don't realize King Diamond, uh, I think he worked with Thin Lizzy, too, right? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And like you said, the Scorpions, it's insane. Just uh, constantly, like that whole band, like, and and they kind of get lost in the, like uh, Phil Campbell and and Mickey D and like even Wurzel, like those guys, uh, and of course like uh, you know Fast Eddie Clark and Filthy, Filthy uh, Phil. Yeah. Phil uh, you kind of you kind of forget about those guys, but they were like, I mean, Filthy, uh, the Animal Taylor, like, uh, you got to think he he pretty much was the architect of the double bass drumming and heavy music. Seriously. Like, kind of, overkill. That's not the problem. I mean, not the problem. I don't want to say problem, per se, but uh, when you have a guy like Lemmy, who's like, obviously, I mean, when people think of Motorhead, that's what they think of, sadly, first. It's uh, Not sadly, but you know what I mean. It's like, those guys definitely get overshadowed by his personality. And, oh, yeah, for sure. So, it's unfortunate that Motorhead as a whole doesn't, you know, keep going. I mean, I understand why they didn't. After Lemmy passed, there was no sense of keep to keep going. But honestly, if they did, I if they found somebody who was who could suffice, I'd be. I would would have been okay with it. But I mean, even if they called themselves uh, something else and just to keep the live the material going in a live sense. Yeah, exactly. Just because you know, just to help it maybe live on. Not that it's not going to live on, but it would have been cool to see. Maybe an interpretation of the songs to someone else too, but yeah, like you said, another band where it's just everyone is so talented, and and uh, Mickey D just proves that 
like I said, with so many historic uh, performances with uh, with a lot of other huge, huge bands. So. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, moving on from that, I guess we'll touch on a little bit of, uh, you know, what are... Uh, I mean, with Motorhead gone, you know, it's kind of taken out. Every two years, you'd have uh, a new Motorhead album to be stoked about. And now, like, uh, now that we don't, what are some uh, what are some releases that you're looking forward to that aren't out yet that are coming out soon? Uh, well, let's see. I know, actually, two of them came out yesterday. One is uh, the Foo Fighters' new album. I'm a huge... I think the Foo Fighters are amazing. I think uh, the way they transcend, again, transcend so many genres... And Dave Grohl literally has his hand in everything when it comes to... Oh, everything under the sun. <laughs> like, yeah, like metal, and alternative, punk, whatever. Like, I love Dave Grohl. I think he, I think he is amazing. And uh, so their new album just came out. I'm pretty excited to, uh, to really delve into that. Uh, the other one is uh, a band I really like called Hot Water Music. Oh, yep. Uh, yep. They put out a new record on Rise Records. Uh, they're like, you know, like kind of a post-punk band from Gainesville, Florida. Uh, Chuck Reagan, who was uh, one of their singers, he went out, He does a lot of his own uh, solo stuff. Well, he's with a band now, kind of like uh, folky type stuff. And then, But their new record just came out, and I, I delved into that a little bit. And it's really, really good as well. So, How's you know. that? Uh, how's the new Queens of the Stone Age record? That's another one. Yeah, that's another one I wanted to touch on. That one, it's amazing. I think Josh Hame is, uh, you know, he's a genius. I think uh, they, the way he can write a song, it's, uh, everything is so catchy. You know, what I mean, the the new record is called Villains, um, and literally from top to bottom, it's uh, it's a banger. It's just uh, so it's so catchy, and it's just a, it's a great rock and roll album. And I think they're another band where they they just get better with uh, every release. And it's crazy because they, you know, he, Josh Holland's the one who's kept them together. He, I mean, at one point, I think I think he's the only really, really original member. But uh, yeah, guy, guy's definitely a genius. So yeah, and, and he's another guy. He's done. He's got. He's just done like so much too. He's just consistently put out material for like close to twenty years. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And then he did recently. Uh, he recently put out an album with Iggy Pop called Post Pop Depression. Which oh, people, yeah. Which people should check out if they haven't checked that out. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, like, you know, getting better with age, a band that, you know, a release I'm looking forward to is uh, the new Converge record, uh, The Dusk and Us. Like, that band, I feel like people, like, uh, really revere the the album Jane Doe a lot, and I'll never take anything away from that album because I love it, and I think it's a landmark album for, you know, heavier music in that realm but i mean their last like three releases have just been fucking like over the top like just so like good i feel like they really have hit a stride since like uh maybe the mid to late uh 2000s and every release just seems better and like they're changing it up all the time and that's another band that like uh just is getting better with age oh yeah i completely agree it's like uh when it comes to, like, especially the hardcore scene or whatever, or the hardcore community, you really don't see bands too much anymore. First off, be, I mean, think about how long they've been around. And they really haven't, I mean, they really haven't changed their style. They, they stay true, pretty true to their style. They always have a lot to say. Jacob Bandon, obviously, is like a torchbearer for uh, the community and the scene with, uh, you know, Epit- or Deathwish Records. He started, he, you know, how he started Deathwish Records and constantly putting out other people's stuff too i just think that 
Converge is like, I put them right up there with a band like, maybe not, they don't sound the same, obviously, but a band like Bane, who's like been around for so long, always has a lot to say, and they kind of transcend where almost everyone, you know, everyone loves them, but just because the amount of effort and energy they put into everything, so. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like someone who wears a behemoth shirt can appreciate Converge just as much as a, someone who wears a, a Hatebreed shirt. Exactly. And I, I 100% feel the same way, and, and I think, uh, and that's something to be said about that, when you can, when you can uh, be appealing to a broad, uh, a broad, uh, you know, crowd, so. But it's, uh, it's interesting, because with that band, uh, they're almost uh, more recognizable to the mainstream for their artwork, for Jacob, all the artwork that Jacob Bannon does, and like, the, the like, trademark Jane Doe logo, I see like all over the place and like people like just post it or, or, or whatever. And I feel like they don't even really aren't even Converge fans. They're more of like, uh, they're more revered in, in some senses for the art of it than people that like, uh, you know, actually enjoy the music. Yeah, I feel like, and, and you, I know you can speak on this too, where it's, uh, nowadays I feel like the merchandise is just as important as the music, sadly. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, the, you know, it's the only thing that they can co- consistently and constantly sell to make money because, you know, you're not making, I think it's like every, like, however many downloads, you know, equals, you know, a certain sale or whatever. And it's just, it's definitely not like it was back in the day. No, not at all. Not like that said, those bands ever really sold anything significant uh, album wise. I mean, I mean, there were a few, and I'm really, I don't know what uh, Converge's numbers were, but those, uh, you know, metalcore and metal and hardcore bands of the early 2000s were selling like 100, 200,000 for some bands like on Trust Killer Victory and shit. Right. I almost, you know, I almost wouldn't be surprised if they actually saw more monetarily from actual music then than, you know, I'm sure they do, than they do now, because like I said, with the way, you know, Apple Music and Spotify and all that stuff with the digital downloads. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how that works out for bands, but I just don't see how they can make it more than selling a physical copy or something. Well, I think from what I've heard is it's kind of turned a corner now where all the streaming services are starting to... It's becoming fi- a little more financially feasible uh, for streaming and stuff because now they are for every, every time someone i think for i want to say like every time someone downloads an album a hundred of those equals one sale something like that gotcha. but which is still crazy but at the same time it's a streaming service so it's not really buying the album per se uh but i mean it's just i guess the world we live in yeah sadly it's true and like, like to touch on the merch again too it's also we live in a time where uh especially in hardcore i feel like where it's sometimes a bit of a fashion statement you know what i mean so you oh absolutely what you know the coolest or the most vintage shirt you can find even if you're not even the biggest fan of the band per se but. yeah exactly uh another record i was uh interested in coming out and i know you're a fan as well and, and kind of sticking uh a little bit in the heavier side is uh the new twitching tongues record that's uh dropping at some point yeah that's i definitely you know i had that i wrote that down twitching tongues i don't really know what the, i don't think they have like any sort of uh 
date or anything, right? Like they just kind of nothing that I'm aware of. I know that they were. I th- I want to say that they were mixing and mastering a couple weeks ago, uh, and now they're out on a, a tour with uh, like Backtrack and No Warning, uh, but. Yeah, I mean they're they're a band. I feel like uh, you know amongst all the heavier bands, they've kind of always they've stood out. Uh, not even just from their vocal sense, because the vocals obviously aren't as uh, aggressive as bands of their you know respected genre. But uh, just songwriting in general, you could see the influence of like the older bands of like you know a Slayer or even you know in in some senses like a like a Pantera. Yeah, most definitely. I think. If no, obviously, if no one has heard Twitching Times, I, I strongly suggest you check them out. Um, the current, you know, hardcore band on or hardcore metal band on, on Metal Blade Records right now. Um, the thing that stands out to me for them is, like you just said, they 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 don't really stick to. They do have a particular sound, but they also transcend genres. Where you know what I mean? You you can't really pinpoint what it is. Obviously, people always say, oh, they they draw a lot from typo negative which yeah i know that they're fans of typo negative but they don't necessarily sound like typo negative per se no they sound more like a carnivore than they do typo exactly carnivore and stuff like that and i know uh super heavy and like they're super like uh taylor the, the lead singer it is taylor right or is no it Col- collins lead singer, Colin, the, lead singer. Hey, the lyrics they write are just so awesome and, and, and they're, they're a great band i definitely love them yeah, uh, and a couple. Did you have anything else noted? Because I did know uh, the new Morrissey. Re- I'm going on the other end of the spectrum. I noted the new Morrissey record that uh, is coming out, and uh, the new Bjork record. Because I was always a Bjork fan. There you go. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I heard about the new Morrissey. I was pumped on that. Um, the only two other ones that are, that are coming out that I, I wanted to talk about was one's band called Entheos. They're like a technical, like metal band, like kind of not really death metal, but. Um, members of a band from San Francisco called Animosity. Uh, they have a, a chick singer, actually, and uh, they have a new record coming out on Spine Farm Records, and the album's going to be called uh, Dark Future. I definitely su- I, I, I suggest anybody check them out. They're, they're super talented musically. And then the other, the other band I was going to talk about was a band called Brave Pleasures. They're actually um members of a band that used to be called beast milk and they're kind of like a they're swedish like uh or finnish uh, post-punk very dark almost like a picture a mixture of like bajas joy division even like danzig and the misfits they're they're a really awesome band and i suggest checking them out as well great name as well yeah they're, they're really uh actually i have a I was reading a review from the new record, and I, I saw, saw a funny quote where it said, uh, "This is music for a party uh, at the house on Haunted Hill. This is music for grave dancing. This is music for a Halloween breakup." So, <laughs> if that tells you anything, but yeah, they're, they're super talented and super good bands. So. That's good shit. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, from where uh, from where we like kind of like really started appreciating music i guess we'll just kind of break into it right now like uh you know what was the band that like uh name a couple bands that broke you to made you that made you kind of like obsess a little bit over music that made you kind of wanna that were it was just music kind of became a focal point of your existence right so obviously when i was really young uh i had some older cousins that i looked up to and they were big metallica fans so the very first band that was like a heavy or like even like 
not mainstream. I guess at the time was Metallica, so I remember getting Metallica cassettes and stuff like that, and that kind of, you know, broadened me into, you know, I was trying to listen to other heavier music, but I really, I was super young, so I really didn't know too much, but I remember, um, you remember there used to be those, like, you could order the CDs on, like, you know, 10 CDs for $10 or whatever. For, through, like, the, the um, what do you call it, like, the Sony BMG catalog thing, yeah, right? Stuff yeah, stuff like that, stuff like that, so. You'd order them and didn't pay for them, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I did that, and I kind of just like randomly selected because there was like a, a metal section or a, a heavy music section, and I randomly selected like ten from that. And I remember getting a record from a band called Earth Crisis, which you know at the time I knew nothing about. So, uh, but I remember opening that bo- the book of that re- of that CD and listening to it, and I saw wow, there's like this whole music scene in Syracuse, New York, which at that time was like, you know, 25 minutes away from our house. So, yeah. Um, so that kind of opened up a, a window to like, you know, with me and my friends at the time where it's like, there's like this musical scene from Syracuse that's like completely different than than whatever we're listening to, you know what I mean? So yeah. Kinda, so initially it was like Earth Crisis and then you know, once I, it got around to my friends, like everyone started to get into something, and I remember somebody picked up uh, "Hate Breed," "Satisfaction," is the death of desire, which is still one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> still like I mean, it's crazy. It's twenty years now that that record's been out. Yeah, that record is just a jam. It's just uh, you know, it's it's definitely one of the best heavy you know heavy albums of all time. I think so. And then. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess for for me the first, I mean, I grew up. I mean, as I know you did. Our, you know, our fathers were uh, teenagers of the seventies. So, you know, I grew up, you know, the first bands that I can remember hearing, obviously you're talking like Zeppelin, the cars, uh, bands like that. And my dad was kind of, as I know your, your father probably was too. He kind of listened to like, uh, you know, whatever was on the radio, granted the radio and the music in general that they had in the mainstream was a lot better than, you know, pretty much what we grew up with. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I remember hearing like the cars i think i remember hearing moving in stereo like a summer like in my dad's bronco sitting outside of like ames where my mom was in there and it was fucking like it was super creepy and it kind of freaked me out but i liked it right and then uh i guess the first band that i the first like any kind of album i bought ever was actually uh use your illusion one on cassette from I want to say like uh, maybe whatever music store was in Shopping Town Mall in like whatever ninety five or whenever the hell I picked it up, but I remember seeing those music videos on you know MTV and VH1 as well. Like you know when they rerun you know decent music videos when before you know R and B completely took over MTV. Um, and uh, yeah, from Guns and Roses, I kind of moved from. I'm trying to think honestly. I think, yeah, like Metallica, you'd always hear, like, yeah, I mean, it was hard to even escape the radio without hearing Enter Sandman 700 times on uh, any kind of radio station. Yeah, that Black Album definitely changed, you know, the landscape of their, their career, so. Oh, yeah, and I'm trying to think, like, from there, I think I saw, you, you know, I I saw, before Guns N' Roses, I remember any of the music that I would hear, besides, you know, my dad playing in the vehicle or whatever, was, uh, 
was uh, in movies. Right. That was like the main part where like, oh, that song's at the end of that movie. That's awesome. Definitely the first time I saw Motorhead, you know, you're talking about or heard of Motorhead. You got to think like uh, they were in air or Lemmy was in Airheads. Motorhead was on the soundtrack at the beginning of the movie. That was definitely the first time I heard Motorhead. Granted, I didn't get into Motorhead until after I got into the Ramones, which I first heard after watching Pet Cemetery and hearing that song. And that was the first song ever in my entire life I became obsessed with. And the Ramones definitely were the very first band that broke everything out for me, got me into every type of punk. And then when you get into punk, I mean, it's going to, at some point, you're going to be going to, you know, punk shows and right. you're going to get exposed to, I remember going and seeing Rancid at a warp Tour. And from there, I got like CD samplers and then CD samplers, you'd get all these record labels. And, uh, but before that, you know, I had heard, and I'm trying to think, remember how I actually heard them. It was from someone older, and I couldn't even tell you even who it was or how I even found it. I want to say someone in, like, the media center, not the media center, but, like, um, what the hell do you call it? Like, uh, like a computer and, like, do you remember Mrs. Anderson? We're going to talk about something completely that no one even knows about any of the teachers were talking about, but we went to this. You remember her, right? I, I do, I believe, yeah. Okay, well, she had a computer in her room, and someone left the Trusco Records website up on the computer. Gotcha. Which could have been you or, or one of your uh, one of your friends uh, because you're you're a few years older than me, so it might may have been one of you guys. Could be. And I think I uh, I that is where I first like uh, I saw Poison the Well, and I was just like, why does that? I was just like, and it was like a nerdy live video or something, and I listened to that, and I was like, and then it, it just the floodgates just did open for heavier music and Poison the Well. And, you know, moving on to 18 Visions, which is, you know, obviously my, it's one of my favorite bands of all time, uh, opened the floodgates for everything heavy. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, everything is like a progression, you know, and the same with me. Like I said, I, I you know, right, right around the time was I, when I heard Earth Crisis and stuff like that, I also heard like the Misfits and the Ramones and stuff like that. Yeah. And it all kind of stuck with me. And then when we started, you know, when you start going to shows at that time, Earth Crisis was just ending, pretty much, and, like, uh, so there was a whole wave of bands, like, that you just talked about that we used to go see all the time, you know, Poison the Well, uh, you know, Nora, freaking, all, you know, 18 Visions, Bleeding Through, stuff like that, you know what I mean? So, oh, yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, because you think of, like, that time period, like, what year was your first show? Yeah. So no. my my first show, I I actually only went to like two shows one year and then like literally didn't go to another show. I think it was like early 2002, like spring 2002 was my first show and then I literally didn't go to a show for like almost a year and then I went to Hellfest 2003 and but even before that like I was just clamoring to see a bunch of bands and you know living 25 minutes from Syracuse when you're you know, 14 and 15, you don't really have access to getting out to Syracuse on a Thursday night to see, you know, fucking Shadows Fall. Um, but, yeah, like, that, and that's another thing, too. Like, uh, you know, you think of that time period, like, 
99 to like 2004 how many amazing bands like were just coming through our area of upstate new york because syracuse was definitely like a mecca from earth crisis uh obviously being one of the one of the biggest hardcore bands in the world like from our you know vicinity Right. Uh, you know, and so there were so many shows. You had to, you know, there was a time in those early 2000s where you had to pick and choose what shows you wanted to, you had to choose what shows you wanted to go to because you couldn't hit them all, so you had to miss some. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, luckily, uh, you know, I had the blessing of having, you know, a lot of friends who were into the same thing. So luckily, you know, if it wasn't my parents bringing us, it was my friend, you know, Connie Finicaro's you know, one of his family members bringing us, or even Zach Barris, or somebody like Al Brown, you know what I mean? Like, people like that. So it's always good when you had friends like that, but I know exactly what you mean to be. I mean, we lived like a half hour away, and our parents obviously didn't really understand. Oh, <laughs> like no. My parents didn't understand what, you know, because it's completely different from what they were going through as, you know, youth. They didn't want to go to... Obviously, the music was different, but, you know, going to shows at such a young age. Well, to that, I, I know to, especially my dad who brought me to, my father brought me to all of my early shows and would just sit in the car outside, would never go in. He'd just fucking sit there for five hours while, like, <laughs> well, fucking Chimera played in fucking... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, and that's a mark of a great father right there. So. It, and, uh, you know, it's funny to them, they're just like, oh, they're just bar bands. And then I remember when my... Uh, was just people. and I think with you too it was like being surrounded by people also who had the same you know once I discovered this music and uh, once we all discovered it it's like we were all into it so yeah I mean it, it definitely helps having uh, you know you, you outnumber the parents at some point and you're just like well there's three of us that want to go so you're going to listen to three kids bitch or you're going to drive these fucking 14 year olds out to a show <laughs> Exactly. So there's strength in numbers there. But, uh, you know, that 99 to 2004 seemed like, you know, that pivotal resurgence of hardcore metal, metalcore, where there was no real boundaries. Like, you know, I remember seeing, you know, 18 Visions play with like American Nightmare and Poison the Well. And like, you know what I mean? There was no like, there were no lines, whereas now I think there's lines. Yeah, there's definitely... I feel like back then the shows were much more uh, eclectic, especially when it comes to even music that's not as heavy, but you still saw a lot of bands on those shows, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but what, you were your, what would you that. say, what would you say are your, you know, if you had to say top five best bands from like 99 to 2004, like that you think were hitting on all cylinders, like help the, help the scene, like just were like at the top of their game were like the band to see from like that era that we started going to like shows so when we talked about this initially i actually i, I thought about that and i made a little list and, I, and, the, and the list i made was also not just bands that were around but bands that also kind of disbanded shortly after that time frame you yeah because I, mean? I wanted to just obviously i could say like hate breed you know what i mean but they're still doing it still kicking out albums so right uh, bands that come to mind for me is like it's funny because looking back on them I took kind of took them for granted a band uh, from uh, New Jersey called Nora uh, I've seen Nora a bunch uh, you know they put out what like three full lengths uh, and obviously Carl runs uh, ran Ferret, uh, Ferret Records for a while Ferret Records exactly they're a band that you know I, I took for granted at the time but now that I listen to them now and I realize man these guys are so great um and they're another one, like I said, they're constantly touring, playing on different shows with different bands. Oh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like probably, and not even joking, uh, you know, when I would, 
when I was missing a bunch of shows, I think I seen like, cause like I said, I, I went to like a show or two and then didn't go to a sh- wasn't able to go to a show for like a year just because I, I could never get a ride. But I remember seeing all the flyers and seeing like fucking Nora on every, every, every time throwdown came in, Nora was on the show. Exactly. Every time, you know, a band from the Northeast came in, Nora was on the show. And again, yeah, like and like you said, like Carl, you know, they had a lot to do with the things. They, they, Carl had Ferret Records, and they, they put out a lot of good music as well. And so Nora is definitely a band that comes to mind. Um, another one is uh, actually a Syracuse band that, well, at least they had a lot of influence on me. It was a band called God Below. Oh yeah. Maybe not. You know. Globally, obviously, have a big impact on people. But if uh, you know they have the one full length, and I think they did a split with Ringworm, and then they have a seven inch. But their blend of metal and, and, and hardcore was amazing, and I think that band—it's unfortunate that they couldn't do more. There's so many hidden gems in like the metal, hardcore, metalcore realm, like God Below, that most people like, especially like kids that are you know into it now, and their favorite bands are Knocked Loose and things like that. They have. They probably don't know about it like a god below because, I mean, obviously we're more biased because they were kind of, you know, they were in our neck of the woods. Right, yeah, that definitely helps. So, and I don't really know how much of a, really, how, like how much touring they did or anything like that, but I definitely, they're, they're a band that I always thought, man, those guys could have done a lot more. Yeah. But how about you? How about I mean, I can name some more. But how about how about some bands for you? Well, I mean, uh, one of the first bands that comes to mind from the you know the early the first like two to three years of going to shows, like definitely from that like two thousand three two thousand four of my most like when I really really started like hitting shows like as hard as possible. You know, a band that I felt like every time they played, it was just it was fucking a war zone was Unearth. Like, they were one of the first bands, in my mind, uh, that brought that real, like, real ballsy, I mean, as well as Shadows Fall, who was also, you know, kind of on my list of uh, these bands that we're talking about, who brought that real metal guitar playing into the hardcore scene, that real Iron Maiden-esque guitar playing into the hardcore scene with real, actual, like, musical talent on the guitar. Yeah, hundred percent. When Unearth played, they definitely put on a they put on a show. Like super talented, guitar wise. Uh, their lead singer Trevor was uh, always a nice dude, and uh, they yeah they put on a hell of a set all, all the time. And, they, and they're another band that used to play a lot, you know. And they're think about them now. I mean, I think I saw they just they're about to play your neck of the woods with Megadeth. It's like yeah, uh, I remember them playing and playing at five hundred five in Syracuse. You know, such a small venue. And it's it's just really cool that uh, they are where they are now. I think uh, definitely a band like that deserves it. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, another another band uh, that I obviously just mentioned was um, was Shadows Fall. Shadows Fall was another one uh, that you know you look at you look at them and you're like these guys just look like uh, like just the average long haired dudes that might have not like really got over like what was happening in the late eighties and then. I would just say, like, a you know, the singer Brian with, like, long, huge dreads, and then he was just swinging them full force and just ripping guitar solos. And, and you know, they had, like, that that heavy metal image looking at them. 
you know, that kind of, you know, kind of went side by side with what they were playing, and I was just like blown away by them too as well. They were such a fun band to see live. Right. Yeah. No. Shadow Swell is another one. I feel like they. I feel like when Shadow Swell play, there was always like something. Um, I don't know how to put it. Like something extra. Like they were always like so amazing. You oh know? yeah. You almost you you almost knew that they were gonna just blow up. Um. I don't know. There was like definitely a mystique about them that I felt like uh, a lot of bands did not have. Yeah, for sure. And then a band that you had kind of mentioned as well. I mean, and they're still going out of all these bands. They're the only band I think that's still steadily and has a consistency is Hatebreed. I mean, Hatebreed was the you know the Guns and Roses of the heavy music uh, scene. I felt like uh, and still are like just like they are the the flag waver for like metallic hardcore hardcore metal metalcore whatever you want to call it yeah well, without a doubt i mean you can't really hey Avery's unapologetic that's for sure i mean they just been they've been pumping they've been pumping out the albums they they have a sound they have their sound they've definitely honed in on it uh jamie jasta is an amazing front man um and again somebody else with the you know a lot to say that's not like he's just uh up there being a rock star like he actually cares and uh yeah like he sees a fight he stops it you know what i mean and he's uh he talks uh endlessly about being inclusive and not having you know the music be exclusive to people he wants it to be inclusive and include everyone exactly and he's another one that i know he does a podcast and stuff and he's very open-minded when it comes to music too so yeah i think that i think that helps but yeah hey is another one who and then the the other two that I had were the ones that I mentioned, uh, Poison the Well, who was, I felt like Poison the Well was the it band um, for that era as well, putting out Opposite of December, like that being such a huge album. I feel like I didn't run into anybody who didn't love that album. Yeah, Poison the Well is another one for me. I mean, I've seen him so much. Uh, I was obsessed with the, the Opposite of December, the album, of course, like me. And a lot of people I knew, obviously, were obsessed with that album. Uh, yeah, again, just another great, super talented band. And, again, another band who kind of almost had, like, you almost knew they were gonna, they were destined to do big things. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were, they more or less, and I, I feel like it's not, it's not talked about as much, but they broke, you know, heavy bands getting signed to major labels. I'll never forget when they signed to Atlantic Records and they released an album, You Come Before You, on Atlantic Records, who had like whoever, like Aaliyah, or like had just like huge <laughs> bands, like, you know what I mean? And they had a major label deal on Atlantic yeah. Records. Like, that just blew my mind. I remember my mindset then and my mindset now is obviously completely different before, you know, when you're back in the day and you're younger, you're like, oh, those these motherfuckers. Never gonna sound the same, like. But now it's like you obviously understand. You know, it's not even just about the music. You know, uh, signing with a big label is not just about changing music. It's also about broadening who hears your music too. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, what? What other? Did you have any other bands that you would uh, you put put on this kind of list thing? Uh, two other bands I would think of. Would, one is Martyr AD. Again, another band who wasn't around for super long, even though they did just play uh, This Is Hardcore in Philadelphia. Uh, two records, uh, two different singers on, on each record, but I, I just another band I thought was just super talented, super solid, super heavy, and uh, should have done so much more. Oh yeah, the you know the remnant, the remnants of uh, what was left from Disembodied, Disembodied after they broke exactly. up. Yeah, 
The other one for me is uh, I put both of them because they're kind of the same. Uh, indecision and most precious blood. Uh, most precious blood. You know, put out in my opinion, probably one of my favorite records of all time, and nothing in vain. And then they moved on from the singer Tom, who was in Indecision, and you know they picked up Rob Fusco and they put out a, some other amazing, amazing records. Oh yeah. So if I was gonna tell, Most Precious Blood would probably be the one hardcore band that I would tell. Like if someone was to say, "What's the one band you want someone to listen to?" Most Precious Blood would be it for me. Yeah. Just like as I'm sure 18 Visions would be it for you. So. Oh, definitely. And they're the, you know, the last band on that I would say. Um, just because, and you know, they have a, such a strange uh, career just because they did so much and they took 700 chances, had, you know, five different sounds. They reinvented themselves on every record. I, uh, you know, I'm in the minority. I love every record. I think every record has something different. And, uh, I mean, that band... I mean, you can't deny stylistically what that band did as far as creating an, a whole look and for, you know, which is kind of unfortunate because, you know, sometimes uh, their look uh, overshadowed what they were actually playing, which was, you know, in the early stages of, you know, them coming to the East Coast and playing the Hellfest and, and playing Syracuse. Um, you know, it kind of overshadowed that they were playing this brutal, metallic fucking, like, concoction of like just like heavy hardcore metal like i mean you, you talk to a hardcore kid today that has you know um you know, a five panel hat and a, a 45 dollar you know champion reissue sweatshirt and things like that you talk to them today and they would never ever in a million years consider 18 visions a hardcore band but i don't think being a hardcore band is as much as about the music as it's about the mindset I 100% agree. It was a mindset thing, you know what I mean? And I think now it, that's that's kind of, not like it's gone per se, but yeah, it's definitely a mindset. I 100% think 18 Visions is a hardcore band no matter what. I mean, that was like the scene. That's where the bands they were playing with. I think you're like you're right. Like 18 Visions was definitely like torchbearers for like a whole movement in my eyes. Like I think after them you started to see bands, not mimic I don't want to say, but definitely draw a lot of influence from them well that that whole scene with uh 18 visions and you know obviously brandon who played guitar in 18 visions and then went on to you know do bleeding through singing there full time uh you know you're talking about you know that whole look they that was just ripped off by like 700 bands of like you know wearing uh you know looking nice on stage but playing like a brutal like having like looking like you could be in stone temple pilots but sounding like you you know you were it was some of the outtakes of like some death metal like a death metal record right no exactly yeah 100 percent. and i think uh i think at that time you still saw bands like 18 visions playing with you know with whoever like uh i remember seeing a show i think where it was like lamb of god when they were first starting with like 18 visions most precious blood and i want to say american nightmare was on the show yeah I, that was that was like my one of my first shows was that one yeah so i mean 
it's definitely different, but yeah, 18 Bits is another one, and their new record, obviously, we should say, is, is amazing, so. Yeah, and that's what we're going to kind of touch on now, and, and, and you know what, I didn't put them on it, just because I kind of like, I kind of lump them all in together, because they're, they shared so many members, and they were so incestual, but obviously, you know, talk, you talk 18 Visions, you know, then you'll talk Bleeding Through, but Throwdown as well, like, Throwdown was just such a, I mean, they were huge out west, because they were from Orange County, but I remember, like, throwdown was such a huge band even after keith stopped singing for them and dave did and i remember seeing them in like 2003 out here and it was just fucking like people were just losing their mind then again a lot of people were uh were straight edge then that aren't (laughs) aren't now so i mean maybe it was just like the straight edge hype but that band i feel like live was just uh, just like it was it was chaos every time they played too and and maybe it was Maybe it's due to being Syracuse and the straight edge, you know, community being kind of like uh, more so than other places. Yeah, and you know what I think was cool about them, uh, and and I guess all the bands from uh, from that Orange County was they made it fun. You know what I mean? Kind of. It's like oh, one hundred percent. Like Throwdown being such a straight edge band, they could have been like you know, obviously like they sing about it and. Uh, you could be super militant or whatever, but they, they, they made it kind of fun, too, you know what I mean? They didn't make it where... I feel like other bands... Not saying it's a bad thing, but they're very, very serious. And I'm not saying Throwdown wasn't serious when it comes to, like, musical lyrics, but, like, their shows were so fun. You could take the music serious, don't take yourself serious. Yeah, and the guys were so... Such a nice... You know, all the guys were super nice, and uh, so I think that speaks volumes as well. Yeah. I mean, in you know, moving on, I guess we'll talk about, uh, you know, what are... Um, what are some uh what are the albums this year that have come out that have just like uh that have kind of kind of got the most spins from you what have you been listening to what are the standouts releases from this year oh let's see it's, well one we, we touched on before was queens of the stone age I, i've definitely jammed the, the shit out of that record i think uh they're amazing and i think everyone should give queens of the stone age a listen if, if they never have uh, there's one. Um, some other releases I can think of is like uh, the Bill and Phil release. Which oh, is, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, Phil and Selmo and Bill Mosley. Uh, they did a song. They did that album on Housecore Records, which is Phil's record label. What is the name? The name of the record, I, can't, I always forget it. Uh, songs of Darkness and Despair. That yeah. Route, that, it's super fun. If you guys know Bill Mosley, he was like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And, yeah, uh, which we talked about, obviously. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Bill Mosley's going to come up 7 million times yeah, on this exactly. podcast because he's just, I mean, which is so cool that he's like, you know, a, a horror movie icon. But at the same time, he has a musical, you know, his musical uh, side of things. He plays, you know, he did, uh, he's done music and yeah. he plays in a band with Phil and Sama. Like how fucking oh, crazy is that? So good. And uh, so that, that that's just like a super fun record. It's, it's an EP, I believe. So yeah, I listened to that too when it came out, and I loved it. But that's I lo- I jam that all the time. That's a, that's a great record. Um, obviously, we touched on the new Eighteen Visions record. Uh, that one reminds me of you know almost my youth, <laughs> kind of because I used to listen to Eighteen Visions all the time, and I haven't really listened to them in a long time. And this record definitely reinvigorated my love for them. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, have you listened to the new Code Orange album? I have not really. Just a few tracks. Just uh, just a few tracks. I know the one that was uh, featured on uh, WWE. I listened to that and maybe one other track. 
Yeah, that that record's great. I mean, they've brought back that sound I think that was missing where bands didn't really care about meshing metal and hardcore as much. Um and they definitely have like they've honed in on that sound and it's just such an abrasive just pissed off record as is their other their their prior release I am king as well like and I feel like they've just you know I love that they I don't know it's just a, it has a, it feels nostalgic like they should have been around in the early 2000s Yeah no I 100% I agree I think uh you know, certain bands, like I said, come around and they just have this mystique about them, and like everyone's talking about them, and they're definitely one of those bands. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, another- everyone was talking about Cold Orange, and now and now we're seeing the fruit of their labor. You know, over there. Oh like, yeah. So. I think, uh, and then uh, another record that's kind of. Uh, stood out to me uh this year and i know i've i've kind of talked about these guys for a long time uh which is funny because they were originally on like a a tooth and nail like a like a christian label uh but they they aren't now and they haven't been i think for their last three records but they they're such a straight up like rock and roll band uh he is legend the album few Gotcha. Yeah, I know you were telling me about that. I'm mean, yet to really give him a deep listen. A lot of great riffs, almost like a little bit of psychedelia, like in in some like parts. Like it's almost like gypsy rock and roll, like southern rock and roll. I don't know. They're just uh, really good songwriters. Um, some uh, Skylar Croon is a really awesome vocalist and just kind of unique. And I can't think of anybody he sounds like. And that record is really it's a straight up rock and roll record, and I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely have to give that a spin. And then, uh, what uh, did you have anything else? Uh, well, one uh, Danzig, Danzig new record. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Black Laden Crown, the King. Uh, he just keeps doing it. I love Danzig. I'll never, uh, <laughs> I'll never not love him. So that's another record I put on my list. Maybe yeah, not, maybe not his best record per se, but uh, I love that he's just still doing it. And uh, you know, people try to criticize him for his voice or whatever it's like the guys i mean he's getting older he's tours i mean of course your voice is not gonna sound the same when you were you know from 15 20 years ago so. yeah I, I mean i don't know how you can expect him to have the same voice he had in uh 1990 when he did uh when he fucking did dancing too as he does you know you know t- you're talking 27 years later you want the guy to sound the same when he's in his 60s exactly and you know there's so much what I like about him too lately is I think we touched on this before is he's not so taking himself so serious lately and he, and he kind of joked around a little bit and it's cool to see like the you know the human side of him because for so long he was trying to keep everything so you know secretive and uh, just so serious kind just, of uphold the reputation so to speak exactly exactly but uh, it's cool to see him you know making jokes and, and joking around and uh, he's definitely. In my opinion, a top five, you know, musical legend to me. Obviously, the Misfits being so important, and and just Danzig alone. Uh, so it's good to see him still putting out records. Oh yeah, and I think uh, uh, you touched on this. We talked about it already. The the new Eighteen Visions record, uh, eighteen. I think that is. Uh, it's it's one uh, it's gonna no one's even gonna come close to beating that record for record of the year for me. I think it's. Uh, probably their best record which is crazy because i revere so many of their other releases and especially like uh until the ink runs out and vanity and obsession those albums i like i love to death and i've listened to incessantly and and 
I, you know, I loved that band when so many people like didn't like them that, you know, we're still going to like metal and hardcore shows said, you know, that, you know, fuck that band. Like they've changed their sound. Like, Oh, you still listen to that band? Like, yeah, no, I mean, you definitely, I'll, you, uh, you definitely been the man from the 18 visions, uh, you know, line for as long as I can remember. I think that speaks volumes, man. So, and uh, that record just—they've uh, kind of like took a, every little bit for uh, bits from every record and just made it what I think the real Eighteen Vision sound is to encompass everything that they've done. And uh, again, uh, you know, just every track a banger. Like, just incorporates everything that they have been like throughout their career and it's just like i think it's unmatched i think the guitar playing is some of the best guitar playing i mean i mean i feel like keith barney is kind of like underrated in that sense where you think about how many legendary riffs that guy's written as far as like the metal and hardcore realm as comes like you know some of the you think about some of those uh throwdown songs that he's sung on and you think about like some of these uh, you know people like here uh all these songs and whenever you hear that guy play guitar you know it's like he has a tone he, de- he definitely has a tone that i think people don't talk about like just has that dialed in now and like james it's probably his it's definitely his best vocal performance on any record in my eyes yeah and i think you could say something now because maybe this is like the you know this like you said this is the album that kind of completes their sound because you know they're a little bit older they've seen that thing or two uh, they played a bunch of different records, uh, like you said, stylistically. So this is kind of like you said, they kind of it's a meld of everything, everything together, and it's like uh, almost like the perfect release. Yeah, it really is, and uh, you got to think like, uh, especially being away from you know that sound, like not playing really with each other for ten years, and then coming back and not only hitting on all cylinders, but arguably putting out their very best record together is. Uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I guess, uh, yeah, moving on, we'll uh, sound, let's talk about to tie into film. And, you know, this will be our last segment, but I feel like uh, that's a perfect way to kind of wrap uh, our last segment, or la- wrap the end of the show up kind of with our last segment is uh, the vinyl soundtrack craze, uh, particularly with, uh, in particular with uh, horror movies and, you know, more genre films and sci-fi films and stuff. I feel like there has just been like uh, a crazy bang and boom with vinyl for movie soundtracks in particular you know like horror and uh, genre film stuff yeah i mean it's 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 kind of insane if you think about it i mean it's uh yeah well i mean i feel like the first one the first company i personally saw doing it was was i saw you know waxwork get together and put out a release and from there i feel like it's just they realized the craze and people what people will spend (laughs) And now it's just like they're putting everything out. So, oh yeah. Um, it's unfortunate for me because I don't. I think that, like we've talked about before, I think it's 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 crazy to me that the more money a company, the bigger a company gets, the more they charge for things. And uh, it's just it's hard for me to pay fifty dollars for one release. Yeah. And I think that a lot of these soundtracks, price wise, that's what they're getting to, and it's just kind of unfortunate. But I think it's. You know, I think it's cool that 
we're not only revering these movies, but the soundtracks as well, because some of the soundtracks make these movies, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Uh, then again, you have uh, you have some of these that are released, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to shit talk the movies or the people that are trying to put out this content for fans, but uh, maybe I gotta re-listen to it, But and I love the movie, I love Maniac Cop 2, but I didn't think that it merited uh, a vinyl soundtrack release. No, and that's what I mean, I think that they're they're just trying to put, they're putting out whatever they can, because kids are... I mean, some of these waxwork uh, releases sell out super quick, and they're like I said, they're like thirty-five dollars, forty dollars a pop. Um, so it's unfortunate when you see stuff like that happen. Like you said, like obviously, some certain soundtracks make a movie. Like what? What is the thing without the thing soundtrack? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, but uh, when you see something like you said, Maniac Cop or something like that, it's like, does it really need a, a vinyl <laughs> release? <laughs> yeah. But then, it, but, but by the same token, like you said, you know, you have John Carpenter that's releasing, uh, you know, because he scored uh, many of his films. Uh, you're seeing him put out, like, uh, this, like, greatest hits of all of his film scores that he scored. And that makes sense because those are memorable themes from those movies. Um, he did create them and he's putting them out himself. But then, uh, by the same token, you have, like, uh, and don't get me wrong, they're awesome. Um, you have like uh, the Creepshow soundtrack that comes out and is like, which is great because that is another like that has cool, like uh, a cool score. Right. But at the same time, like it, where does it end? And you know, what does uh, it's almost, it's almost painful because you want everything, but everything is, you know, you, I got bills, you got bills. You can't be dropping like uh can be dropping $35, $40 like every time something comes out. Usually I'll try to hunt and see if I can get it used on eBay or, or things like that. Because, and like you said, some of these are getting a little bit upwards to 40 or 50 bucks and maybe we're just cheap fucks. But I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> no, I, think I mean, like, yeah, like you said, we have bills and that it's, a, I do the same thing where I'll look for a release. I look on eBay or discogs.com. It's like, uh, I think the newest, when I saw, like, Creepshow 2 came out recently, and I, and I, I you know, I, I went through and I was going to buy it, but then I saw, to ship it to my house, getting to me, it was, was like, $45. It's like, uh, altogether, I just feel like that's a little much, you know? And I understand that they put, they're putting work into these releases, and, and don't get me wrong, everything they do does look great, but, um, I don't know. I just think it's, uh, I just think it's a little much. Yeah, uh, and it all depends on, you know, like we said, it all depends on what they're putting it out for. Obviously, we're more we're more on the side of wanting to buy something if it's like a, you know, a landmark film that in our lives that we love, like we grew up loving it and the, the score is amazing, we'll feel a little bit more uh, inclined to buy it. But if it's something like and nothing against Creepshow 2 because I love Creepshow 2, like but I'm not like I'm not going to be like, well fuck I need that so bad. It's not like on my top list of things I need. But by the same token, I'll, I won't discredit it too much, and I know you won't either. But because they do put it work into it, and they look great and things like that. But like you said, when you get shipping, you know the shipping charges, and you're at like almost fifty dollars to send that. You're like, uh, well, that's half. That's half of my phone bill, or that's like two and a half tanks yeah. of gas. Exactly. You look at it from that perspective, being uh, an adult too, but. I, I think it's great these companies are out. I just don't understand. Like I said, the bigger the company gets, I feel like the more they charge steadily. Like I feel like all these vinyl releases have gone up 
throughout every release gets more expensive. Um, and you know what else kills these releases too is also uh, resellers because yeah, uh, definitely a lot of does. Will buy them and then they once they 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 sell out, they'll put them on eBay. Like for instance, uh, Mondo put out a set of the Monster Squad seven inches, which I had. There's four of them. I have all four, but I mean these things come up on eBay. They're they're fifteen dollars a pop. They're coming up on eBay for $80, $90. Yeah, that's insane. Or, or they put out the, the full soundtrack on LP, and, you know, those, I think they were 30 maybe, and people are putting them on eBay for, you know, anywhere from 70 to, you know, $100. Yeah, and maybe that's more so where our frustration maybe comes from with these things yeah. is, like, you know, they're limited, and, you know, not, not everybody who buys these things has, uh, probably has, uh, you know, a car payment, rent, and things like that. They probably have a little bit less bills than some of us. Um, and they end up buying it, and they'll buy two, being greedy. They'll buy two and one to flip, and then they'll flip it on eBay, and then they sell out, and the only time we can get it is if we want to cough up, like, uh, you know, yeah, a, a 200% markup on it. Exactly, double, triple the price. So. But all in all, I think the, the soundtrack... Uh, having the soundtracks out is a good thing. I think it helps the films as well. Um, you know, like I said, people go nuts for the soundtracks, so hopefully they're going the same as if it gets a you know a re-release. The actual film gets a re-release as well. Yeah. Uh, now, is that? Do you think those Monster Squad uh, records are your uh, favorite release of you know kind of the movie soundtrack type things? Yeah, I think just that you own. Cool that there's four because there's four covers. There's well, there's four colors, four covers for each uh, of the monsters. I think it was fun for me to find them all. One of them, the Gillman was only was only released overseas, and one of them was only the Wolfman was only released at Texas Frightmare, and then uh, I think Frankenstein was only released at uh, independent record store. So. Monster Squad for me is like one of my probably my favorite movie of all time, and just uh, sometimes when it comes to records or even movies, the hunt, the hunt to find something is fun. So it was fun trying to, to collect all those. So yeah, those are probably my when it comes to movies, anything with a movie soundtrack. That's probably my favorite. I don't have as much as other people, of course. Probably my the next best thing would be the Trick or Tree soundtrack. I think that. Is pretty cool. They put a lot of, of work into that, and uh, the colors. I've, it's like a black and orange swirl, which is really cool. So. Yeah, and I got that. I want to say I got that. They had like a clearance on it, like a couple years ago, and where they like uh, uh, you know uncovered some uh, ones they didn't sell of the clear orange. I think it's clear. Yeah. I think it's clear. Yeah, it's clear orange, like transparent orange, and uh, and I got that, and I got a killer deal on it because they had like some crazy like flash deal on them, and I. Got it, and they sent it in like a little trick or treat, like, like, like a Halloween tote bag thing, and and I was just like, oh, that's rad, and I think I, I don't even think I even came to twenty five dollars. Yeah, that's a great thing right there. So, and that's and that's what I think that maybe these companies lose sight of is like, okay, well, do you think you'll? I mean, that's the thing though; they're going to sell them regardless, so they don't really. They're not. They're more inclined to say, "Well, it's going to be thirty bucks instead of twenty-five. Like, I don't know, yeah, twenty gonna... for one of those records with like, like the trick or treat record with all that artwork. The thing it comes with a poster. It has the gatefold, like, and and it has a cool color. And they throw in a friggin' little like Halloween tote bag like thing in there. That's worth twenty-five dollars all day to me. But then once you get like thirty-five, forty, you start losing me. Yeah. Exactly. 
and I don't, I don't know what they're, you know, if they're just trying to be greedy or if they're genuinely, that's how much money they put into these releases. If it but, is, I'd like this. I'd like to see it broken down. I'd like to, and maybe I'd feel more comfortable spending forty dollars on a record. Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. Me too. But. But I think uh, the for me the the Pet Cemetery vinyl uh, s- score is probably my uh, favorite just because it's so like haunting and creepy and I always love that and it always it's still like I throw it on and it still creeps me out like just hearing it. Yeah, and it's always great when and I know that's one of your favorite movies as well too. So that's yeah, always yeah. When the soundtrack matches uh, the love of the movie, so. But yeah, all right, man. Well, uh, I think we're gonna wrap it up. Thanks for. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Uh, obviously, uh, we're going to hopefully have you on about 700 episodes. <laughs> yeah, man. This was a blast. I had a, had a great time. Uh, hope everyone enjoys this as well. And, I mean, uh, something I, I think we can't, like, uh, not talk about is, uh, you know, these conversations happen daily in, a, like, a group text that we have. Like, this isn't like, oh, we haven't seen each other in a while. We're going to catch up. We're going to have, like, this guy that I don't know so well call in. Like, we're best friends. Like, we have, a you know, our best, you know, we have a, l- a group text of the, the cl- all of us with you. Obviously, your brother is in there, and he's uh, one of our best friends as well. Um, yeah. So these, this isn't like something that's rare that doesn't happen. We just decided to, you know, rec- start recording some of these conversations that we have uh, in long form. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a day that goes by where there's not like some sort of uh, topic that gets uh, brought up that sparks a huge conversation in the group text, or even if it's just between me or you when it comes to music or, or movies. Uh, this is definitely. Obviously, a passion of all of ours, and I think it's awesome that we're bringing it to, uh, you know, we're recording it and bringing bringing it to people because uh, it's interesting. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we're self absorbed, but I guess that's okay. You kind of have to be a little self absorbed to be, you know, start a podcast and try to promote yourself the way I, the the way yeah. uh, you know. But what whatever, it's fun, and I think uh, from some of the feedback we've gotten so far in the first two film episodes, I mean, and obviously, uh, me and you are definitely out of uh, our little uh, small group of uh, friends here that are going to appear regularly, uh, regularly on this uh, podcast. Um, we're we're more so on the music side of everything, you and I. So that's why I wanted to introduce the music side of this with you because I know we'd have a great uh, music conversation. Yeah, and the, the thing is, is we didn't even touch on so much stuff, but we can still there's so much stuff we can still touch on. So oh yeah, and I'm, there's going to be many more. And uh, what do you think? You up for uh, you up for another one soon or what? I'm gonna do a movie one. Yeah, most definitely. Awesome. Well, all right, brother. I'll text you in a little bit, and uh, yeah, man. Thanks. All right, talk to you soon. Later, bro. And, yeah, that's uh, Mr. Eric Tyler, E.T. What an awesome convo. Like I said, we've had these conversations seven, nine, eight hundred, a thousand times. Like, uh, uh, so it's just cool to, like, kind of put it to tape, so to speak, and uh, release it for everyone to kind of hear and see and see what we're like, uh, you know, talking about all this pointless shit you know just music and movies constantly nothing else uh but we are going to have another podcast post tomorrow uh potentially all three podcasts that are being recorded this weekend will be post this weekend so uh if you like what you've heard stop 
in, keep checking back. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Um, so go to iTunes, search for Heart God Media, and you will find our podcast. Uh, subscribe. Uh, leave a rating, preferably of the, the five-star uh, nature. Um, and if there's any topics you want me to touch on or tackle, let me know. Uh, I'd love to love to dive into whatever uh, you guys got to recommend. Uh, but the next uh, the next episode should be up this weekend as well, uh, which is the weekend of September sixteenth. And we're recording this on September 16th. Uh, we're not backlogging anything. Uh, several episodes posted every weekend. Come back, subscribe. Uh, thank you for listening. It's much appreciated. And hey, this is Heart Guide Media. I'm Jesse HS with the Heart Guide Media Podcast. And thanks for stopping in.